Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. You're listening to part two of Reach Babies 101. I'm Dr. Elliot Berlin, and I'm joined by our guests, Dr. Barry Brock, Beth Cannon, midwife, Susan Minnick, midwife, and Dr. Milo Shavira. So Susan's here. Susan's an acupuncturist, and you do a lot of breech acupuncture. I yes. know because we share patients, we share patients back and forth. Yes. Um, tell me what what is acupuncture and and or Chinese medicine in general? Because it's not just acupuncture. Uh, what 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 do you do for breech babies, and how does it work? So in Chinese medicine, the theory of acupuncture is there are channels or meridians that circulate through the body, and they're like blood vessels. You can't see them, and they carry our circulation of blood and what we call in Chinese medicine qi, which is our energy. Mm -hmm. And these channels connect and nourish the entire body and circulate through all the internal organs and everything's connected. It's not like in Western medicine where one organ, you take care of the heart, you take care of your headaches. In Chinese medicine, it's all connected. So, yes. And when ladies are pregnant and the circulation can get impeded from, as the circulation comes up from the lower half of the body, the circulation gets, the meridians get stuck and things don't flow well. And it's just like a garden hose. You get the garden hose pinched, you unravel the garden hose and you come water your plants. Or you turn the light switch on, you don't see the wires behind the wall, but you know they're there to turn the lights off and on. Same thing in Chinese medicine or the acupuncture, the needles move energy from place to place. So all these meridians have different points and they're all connected with the internal organs, liver, spleen, kidney, bladder. The channels that run up the side of the body, the bladder, channel has 67 points and on bladder 67 that we call the urinary bladder 67 is the breach point that everybody talks about for moxibustion and moxibustion is artemisa or mugwort it's a heating herb that you warm up a stick that looks like charcoal or it looks like a sponge and you light that i use that kind where it's smoking moxa and you place it close to the baby toe the theory is, is that this increased circulation warms the meridians, carries the circulation through the body, and a part of the channel circulates around the uterus and increases fetal circulation. It's not anything major, but it has to do with movement and increasing blood flow and circulation to the baby. Now, I'm going to say this to somebody who has no 
holistic, you know, alternative medicine background. That sounds absolutely crazy. But right, right. You Especially burn, me you being burn some yes. crazy herb at the toe, and yes. baby starts moving around. But uh, in practice, we we feel sometimes we actually do the moxa while I'm doing the chiropractic work, which I'll speak about in a minute. And you just within ten minutes, fifteen minutes, you start feeling the baby kick around. Yes. Now that's anecdotal, but it was also studied and published in the Journal of American yeah. Medical. Yes, Association. I have the only one they had a randomized control. I have the studies here. Yeah. But um, but my feeling is that for these non-dangerous techniques of all these things here, go for it. There's right, no you have nothing risk. to lose. That's the same with the version, yeah. I'd say. I go also do acupuncture as well as, I don't just do moxibustion. So for me as an acupuncturist, I work with the mother's fear about birth. I work about work with her fear about why is my baby breech. So when I do acupuncture on my pregnant ladies, it's very important that I work on points to help calm the mind, spirit, and also the body. And it increases circulation to the heart. And in Chinese medicine, the heart is the center of love and creation. I work on the spirit points to calm the mother, to connect her energy with the baby. And I also do the acupuncture points that relax the ligaments. So I put points on the body to relax the ligaments as well as moxibustion. So when the patients come see me for acupuncture, it's not just about doing the herb with the mugwort. I also do acupuncture. And then I send the moms home with the moxa stick. So in the office, I do the treatment for about 10 to 15 minutes. I send the moms home with instruction. I give them a stick that looks like a piece of charcoal. You light it, it's smokeless. You hold it on the edge of the baby toe for 10 to 15 minutes, two times a day. Now the literature shows us that you can do 20 minutes for once a day. But I like the patients to connect and relax for 10 minutes with their partner and do it twice a day if they can for 10 minutes. The moxa makes me sleepy. When you say the baby toe, you're talking about the mom's? The mom's yeah, the baby mom, toe. Thank baby you. Toe. I know. I'm Not sorry. The yes. Okay. The mom's baby toe. The so, pinky toe. The pinky toe. Story. Thank yeah. you. Pinky toe. <laughs> the pinky toe. Do, one's do a toe and one's an actual baby. Uh, on a, like Incline? an inversion? No. no. I have them sitting on a table with their just sitting up, propped up, relaxing. I play music, incense, the whole thing, and they relax. Because a lot of times the mothers are so worried about this breech baby and not having the baby turn, that I just want to relax them and have them know that they've done everything possible for themselves in case the baby doesn't turn. I have about 50% success rate. I also work with Elliot and other chiropractors that send their patients to me who do the Webster technique, which Elliot will speak about. But the moxibustion is really a wonderful tool to help increase circulation and help the mothers relax and help the baby turn. It doesn't happen all the time. There's a study out that the babies. Um, the, for the external version, the mothers have a higher success rate of ease, you know the external version when they do moxibustion and acupuncture. Absolutely. So, and, so, uh, and usually within two to three days is when we see the baby turn. It doesn't happen right away, and you just have to give it time. But yeah. it won't happen in the acupuncture office. I have a lot of patients saying, well, what happens if my baby flips now? I teach the moms how to feel the baby. I also teach them the, uh, to go on spinningbabies.com, mm-hmm. the rebozo technique, and different positions of getting on all fours when the baby's active, all the things that we talk to the moms about. I give them printed papers and literature so they see the baby toe and they know how it works. But it increases circulation and also it relaxes the smooth muscle of the uterus. That's I feel like the Chinese medicine is really synergistic with what we do chiropractically. Yes. From a chiropractic perspective, um, we see about two or three breech babies a day now in the office. and. Um, we get a good number of them to turn about two thirds overall. 
And um, because of that, people think we're physically doing like an external version. But we will never push a baby in the office, you know, against any kind of resistance. It's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to do something to the baby. What we're trying to do is increase the pelvic function of the mother. So if you have a lot of tension because you have tight muscles, as Dr. Brock mentioned earlier, sometimes runners, dancers, gymnasts have this very athletic pelvis Mm -hmm. where the muscles down low are so strong and tight, they're pushing in and lifting up on where where the baby's head would want to go down or where the butt would want to come out. And they're just gripped in there. Sometimes the muscles in the back, deep inside the gluteal muscles, the piriformis muscles, when they're tight, squeeze everything closed. And the pelvis is supposed to be really dynamic. So if you have all that tension down there and a good amount of amniotic fluid, you know, baby, why would a baby even want to be down there? They can be under your rib cage where there's so much more space. But also, how are they going to get down there if they try to move inside you, side to side, and your pelvis is rigidly stuck and closed? They're going to have a lot harder time moving than if we can loosen up those muscles with some massage work. Um, and then chiropractic adjustments to get the joints moving better. That's what we do as, as the chiropractic technique. The Webster technique, named after Dr. Larry Webster in the 1970s, he was just trying to help prevent dystocia. Like if he, he wondered why sometimes you have a woman with a really uh, small pelvis and very large baby that comes through in birth easily. And uh, sometimes you have a woman who's been told those hips are made for birthing. And then they have this little baby that gets stuck on the way down. You know, he came down to function. If, if the pelvis is not able to move and function and assist in bringing the baby down, then um, you're going to more likely to be, have problems during birth. So his whole purpose wasn't really about breach. It was to help improve uh, labor. But what he found was after doing those adjustments that babies that were breached would all of a sudden start to settle head down. Again, not necessarily in the office. We're not trying to get come in breach, leave head down, but um, in between visits, like you mentioned. Fabiola, do you have a question? Yeah, I'm not a runner, gymnast, or swimmer or anything like that, but I have been in various automobile accidents. Sure, and that, that has the same, uh, a different but similar effect in making your pelvis less less functional if you've you've had trauma to your pelvis that was my question is lock up and guard trauma yeah and i've gone to chiropractic before um i have a herniated disc between Mm. my l4 and my l5 um and that's one of the things that i was thinking was i I need to loosen those areas up because they've always i need to loosen those areas up. (laughs) well you need Um, to (laughs) it's uh, yeah car accidents fall off a ladder fall off a horse uh snowboarders who are constantly falling on their butt but don't realize they're being traumatized because they're having a good time um they also tend to have that kind of rigid locked up pelvis yeah and one of my concerns to go to a chiropractor immediately was just in december of last year i was five months pregnant and we were driving we were t-boned on the side of where i was sitting wow and um you know that's then i found out about this so immediately i went back to that and i'm like could it possibly be that and i again i was met with resistance like no if you would have had a problem with the accident you would have found out then and and that's that like it was just ruled out necessarily it's impossible to really connect the dots but all these things that we're talking about are, are factors. Okay. You know, and that's certainly a factor as One well. One of the major thing the body does, you put a hormone called progesterone, and it has several functions, and that's... You know in the beginning of the pregnancy, number one, you get much more indigestion because it relaxes sphincter that goes from your stomach to your esophagus, and therefore more gets acid comes up there. But the reason this hormone does this, it relaxes the ligaments. So the, your bones, your pelvis stretches out a little more room. 
It makes them more uncomfortable walking, things like this. But this is one of the reasons in pregnancy, Mother Nature has a great system to design everything if you have a vaginal delivery. So that everything stretches out, gives them more room. And that's absolutely true because before, prior to me being pregnant, I had more lower back pain. I had more sciatic nerve pain. Yeah. And, and as soon as I got pregnant, I was I was actually scared. I'm like, how am I going to carry this it's baby? Gonna be worse, I'm going to be not. in pain. Well, some people can better. be worse. It depends what yeah. you got. Because what yeah. happens is you, you were luxury. You said you gained seven pounds. Yeah, in total. 57 pounds. <laughs> yes. That can be a Changes major everything. difference. Yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, wow, I feel better. The worst thing for your back is to gain weight and have a lordosis. Yeah. When you're pregnant, you gain weight and you get a lordosis. Lordosis is where the low back curve is being pulled forward. And so when you gain weight and you have that baby growing out forward, um, that pinches your low back in a very uh, uncomfortable way. So it's good. I think people like you that have pain before the pregnancy and then feel better because of the relaxing and maybe some mm-hmm. of the progesterone probably go on and have like 35 or 40 babies because you feel so good. So how, so how much... Um, now that I'm approaching 37 weeks, like realistically, how much chiropractic care or acupuncture or any of well, those? You know, the first visit with chiropractic and massage is uh, also diagnostic. I can get a sense of how your muscles and joints are. Are they incredibly tight, moderately tight? Maybe they're not tight at all. Are the joints moving or are they totally stuck? Um, but then also we'll see how you respond to what we're doing. Sometimes, look, uh, I think that uh, Susan said even even just doing it, if you're going to do an external version by loosening up that musculature and improving the pelvis there, you're going to create more functional space. Same with the acupuncture and moxa. I've had a patient, two patients at 39 weeks come for acupuncture and, and moxibustion and the baby turned at 39 weeks. Yeah. One was her second baby and the, again, the ligaments are more relaxed and the, the mother's, you know, the multips have a higher success rate. But it's all about relaxing. But the reason is we pick 37 weeks. Number one, it, if something happens, I've never had it happen to me, but theoretically doing the version, if the heart rate drops and you have to do a rapid delivery cesarean section, you're 37 weeks and the babies do fine. And statistically, if the baby hasn't turned by 37 weeks, it's much less likely to turn after that. In Europe, they'd like to do it earlier. In Europe? Europe. Yeah. In, but in say, Europe, they'll do uh, breech vaginals. Just last week, we had a 39-week patient who did the external version and it didn't work for her. Um, very athletic, uh, very strong musculature. Um, she decided to come in and give this a try anyway because one of her friends had success with us. And, uh, you know, I told her the odds are, are pretty slim there, but and her fluid was very low as well, seven and a half. And um, three or four visits, those muscles got looser and looser, and I kept having her try to increase her fluid a little bit. And uh, boom, right in the middle of one of the sessions, the baby flipped over. I called Dr. Fishbein. I said, Get, you got to bring an ultrasound over here. I'm not sure what I just felt. There was a big movement in there. And lo and behold, her baby's head down. That's so, terrific. That's 39 weeks. It's, mm-hmm. it's less common then. Your odds start to go down significantly. But um, it's not impossible. Exactly. I, I, it's not along impossible. Among the uh, holistic options, just before we get a little more specific about the ECV, um, there's also hypnotherapy. Yes, there's I was just going to say that too. Yeah. Uh, pulsatilla. Mm-hmm. Hypnotherapy, pulsatilla. like you said, Susan, yes. the more relaxed you can be on the inside and outside. Sometimes just by having someone take a deep breath in with my hands on their belly, deep breath in and really relaxing for the first time, you can feel a very significant amount of improved, increased space in their increased mobility mm-hmm. for the baby. So hypnotherapy we use in the office can be incredibly powerful too. Some people respond better to some of these techniques than other ones. Um, and then um, homeopathy. Beth, do you use uh, Pulsatilla? Mm-hmm. Or? Pulsatilla, um, Ignacia, but Pulsatilla is the most common one. But uh, quite frankly, I think that the chiropractic and the acupuncture with Moxa 
is the ones that do it and positional changes yes. the spinning babies getting the baby mm -hmm. out of the pelvis yeah you know <clears throat> and then yeah. version I mean, it can work in flower tickle. essences. They say bougainvillea <laughs> can bougainvillea flower Remember, essence. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. I mean, there's, a, right, uh, right, there's a restaurant like here that people don't go into labor. They go they ahead go and have, have a salad. salad. Yeah. Well, you know, you're 41, 42 weeks. Oh, I went there and I went to labor. Well, yeah. you know, you eventually are going to go into labor. Right. So you have to be, all these techniques we're using here, I have no problem trying it, but until you have a scientific randomized controlled study, you really can't say if it really is sure. doing the thing. But don't do no harm. That's good. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Right. There's no harm. Their downside and right. if they're anecdotal. It's worth a try. Um, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about homeopathy, but uh, some of the homeopaths that we work with um, use pulsatilla exclusively mm -hmm. to try to get babies to turn. We are going to take a quick commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. All right, so Nusha's joining us. Nusha's 37 weeks. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Happy birthday with baby number one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, currently in a frank breach position. Yes. Head's here, but there. And planning the external version for tomorrow. Yes. So this is a timely discussion for you. Yeah, so that's why I was excited to be here, so I can kind of have some opinions about doing the version at home without medication. Ooh, that's a, I want you to hold on to that question for one second. It's mm -hmm. a great question. We're about to move into the version, but right before we get there, Milo was going to say one more natural thing about turning babies, which is positional things. Yeah. So there's a website, spinningbabies.com. Mm -hmm. uh, Gail Tooley, midwife, um, she's really laid out a lot of these exercises really beautifully with video so you can see how to do them and suggestions on how to do them. Um, what, what are your thoughts about positional exercises? Um yeah, well, I think it's just uh, it's just another option to add into the armamentarium, and I, you know I've come across different descriptions of how to do it. Sometimes you know the mom face up, face down. It kind of strikes me that being face up at term is probably going to be very uncomfortable for most moms. So face down, you know, hands and knees makes a little more sense to me. And a simple way of describing it is, uh, let's say you get on the ground on hands and knees. 
And then you just lower your chest down to the ground so your hips are kind of up in the air and your head is down low. And the idea is you're kind of turning your trunk upside down so that if the baby is, uh, you know, down in mom's pelvis, uh, this gives a, a chance for the baby to kind of slide out a little bit and makes it a little easier for the baby to, uh, you know, work his or her way around. And it also stretches the round ligaments that are running from the pubic bone up into the uterus. Those ligaments have muscle fibers and they can spasm. When they spasm hard, you feel it like an ice pick. But um, that tension also decreases the space for the baby to be able to move. So in addition to gravity helping bring the butt out or the foot out, whatever's stuck down there, uh, you're also stretching out those round ligaments and, and helping. The remedy for that tight round ligament is to just stretch it and it relaxes. And doing that position first thing in the morning when your bladder is full... They say, anecdotally, the weight of the bladder can help Helps out. push the there baby go, out. Little... So again, you know, <clears throat> who knows? They've also said they keep your bladder empty, give you some more room. But okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, so maybe maybe do it once before you empty your you know bladder and then come back. I'm, I'm personally going to try it both ways tomorrow and see it's more comfortable for me. Let's talk about the external cephalic version, um, because that's, that's where Nusha's question is. The external cephalic version, uh, first of all, the name of it. Uh, external cephalic version, meaning that it's external. Uh, someone's going to, through the belly, try to manipulate the baby. Cephalic version means we're going to try to take the head as the cephalad portion and vert it from being up at the top down to the bottom. Uh, and it's it commonly called either the ECV or the version. Um, we've talked about why it's, it, it can be done usually 36 or 37 weeks. Before that, if something were to go wrong, then we are concerned because the baby's not quite at term yet. After that, the uh, odds of success really start to plummet. Uh, what are the things that can go wrong? And then I think this is where Nusha's question sort of comes in. The protocol that I use is first the mother comes in, usually at 37 weeks. Um, they have not, don't have breakfast. Um, theoretically, keep the anesthesiologist happy in case she needs a cesarean section because it's an emergency, so they don't want it to have a full stomach and throw up. And but you said that's never happened to one of your never, clients? Never, happened. And how many, years, how many years are you practicing uh, external versions? <laughs> Over 30 years okay, ago. And I've never and seen it either. I've never seen years. it either. I've never so. seen it, but that's what theoretically. You've never seen someone go into labor from the no. EC? Because Nusha's convinced that. that she's going into no, labor tomorrow. I've never seen going into labor. So they yeah. certainly shouldn't eat the coyote salad in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> when they come in, the first thing we do is scan them. Because, make sure the baby still make sure it's still breached. Because plenty of times I've gone there, up, oh, it's flipped already, right. and so we cancel it. Yeah, Berlin, the Berlin got this one head down already. Okay, and then we get what's called a reactive non-stress test. We make sure the tracing, put a monitor on the baby, make sure the baby's doing fine and healthy. Um, we then go ahead and um, uh, I set the mother up. I use warm mineral oil because you don't want. I don't want something to. I warm up the mineral oil because then. <laughs> Cold sort of shocks the abdomen. And basically, I have an ultrasound there. I scan the baby. And basically, I put my hands on the abdomen, and I rotate, try to rotate the baby. I push the baby out. And things like that. The secret is there's nothing on the top. Everything's from the bottom. You're pushing the baby up. Out of the pelvis. So, from the uh, abdomen. Out of the pelvis, up, up towards the, yeah. uh, the abdominal cavity. Um, I use the criteria that I don't cause any pain, discomfort, so I can't cause any harm. Because I stop if you start hurting the mother too much. So, you know. But you would and, expect some level of discomfort. Yeah, there is some level of discomfort, but she, I use her as a gauge. So with the epidural, maybe a higher success rate, but oh, the, you my, can't my, tell. my concern you can't tell. is I can't tell if I'm doing something. How long does it usually take? Oh, I, this is the 90 second procedure. I try one way, I try the other way. Mm -hmm. It's not, not trying for hours, it's minutes. Is there medication involved? You mentioned involved? that you did three, you gave 
three tri- tries to somebody. Well, I mean, you keep on trying. I mean, it depends. I mean, obviously, the last time is going to be the successful one of your stop. But before I start this, I give a medication called terbutaline. Terbutaline is a medication we give for asthma, but what it does, it also contracts and relaxes the uterus. It causes the heart to race. And the mother feels some palpitations from that. Um, we're very comfortable using that because a lot of times when we give Pitocin or for other reasons and they give too much, this is a medication we go to remedy that problem. So we're very familiar using that in obstetrics. And it can be very helpful. Is it just to get the uterus to relax to yes. give you a greater chance yes. of success? Yes. Or is it to prevent her from going to labor? No, just, no. just to cause so the uterus to relax. Do, don't some people come in with just a very relaxed uterus to begin with? Yes, but when I start pushing on it, it can come. It can start becoming more irritable. How long does the turbulent take to kick in? Um, I give it IV, maybe ten, five, six, seven seconds. It's oh yes, quick. but yeah. so wouldn't couldn't she have the option? Because I know some some of our more holistic minded moms, especially, they don't take anything during pregnancy, so they they're a little nervous about taking turbulent. Plus, it makes the heart skippy, which also sometimes makes you a little bit more anxious. Then that seems like that can be counterproductive. Well, but I, my you know I run a success rate sixty to seventy percent during my versions. That's high. I've been. I've been trained to do it this way, and I find it effective doing it this way. Are you um, uncomfortable if a mom says, could we try No, but I'm saying, I, you know, um, it may not be successful, because the users do contract. But, you, but five to seconds, seven seconds later, you can get some tribunal and try again. Well, it, yes, anyway. I can. But so, usually I start off, it's, it's a protocol I run through, and I'm the, it's, it's tough when you get trained some way, and it's effective, and it works well, and I have no complications and no problems. To switch to something different, so I like to do what right, works. But you're the kind of guy that, because moms have individual needs and requests and desires, um, if somebody's uncomfortable with the medicine, it makes sense that you, and especially you can feel her uterus is pretty loose. Um, well, to, you feel it. No, I, I take it back. I don't feel the uterus is loose. I feel the abdominal wall is used, the muscles. That yeah. you can feel. So the uterus itself, unless you see contractions, you really can't tell what's going on. Especially when you start pushing it, uterus may, the uterus may have a contraction. Now, because I don't use a continuous ultrasound monitoring. In other words, I start churning it. I listen to make sure the heartbeat's fine. I turn some more until I, listen to the heart, I always listen to the heartbeat to make sure it doesn't fall down. Because mm-hmm. remember, if you're stretching, pulling, and you get the cord... I've had one case and I started turning, the heart went down, I had to push the baby back. and said, no, we can't go in that direction. So you do what's safe. Um, But Beth, do you, do you, because you don't use ultrasound, and I I feel like midwives who don't use ultrasound tend to have a finer palpatory touch. Do you feel like you can feel differences in a uterus that's taut versus a uterus, like that's contracting versus a uterus that's uh, When it's contracting, but it's more the musculature of the ab- abdominal mm-hmm. wall. You can definitely you know? feel the so musculature. Absolutely. I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you totally can. Help it. And it definitely makes a difference. So I just, I mean, I've, I think it's a barrier to some of the patients that I work with, the tributylene, that they'd rather try sometimes first without it. Some don't care, but they'd rather try first without it. And then because it's a quick IV, uh, quick acting IV drug, does it also come in pill? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, but we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we use IV. Yeah. yeah, there in is labor. oral and, and, and then, uh, and then there's been. also a intramuscular injection, which mm. is also commonly used. Are there brownies? <laughs> no, okay. We usually, the options give subcutaneous you can't IV. Eat. I like IV, it's very quick. And- there would be brownies, but you're not allowed to eat in case of that. In case you I, got, I got to say, from my point of view, uh, it, the, the literature is a little bit mixed on whether, you know, using these medications to uh, relax the uterus help the overall success rate or not. You know, some, some studies 
show that it increases success rate and other studies don't and it's it's kind of a mixed bag so in my mind it's it's a little bit of an open question and i think you know the artful practice of medicine is trying to tailor it a little bit better to the individual patient and do we think in this patient it's going to be maybe helpful or in this patient maybe it's not going to you know make uh, too big a difference and i think you can always take a graduated approach you can start at home with no medications and uh and if it's successful then you win and if it's unsuccessful you could decide how far you you uh you want to increase your intervention using medications, go to the hospital, maybe get an epidural. Uh, I have some moms who, after a couple of tries, they kind of feel like, I've tried and I'm done, and I don't want to sure. do any additional steps. And, 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 and you have other women that will go to the ends of the earth to try anything possible to try to you know get into cephalic presentation. And I think it's absolutely fine to, you know, kind of take an individualized and grad- graduated approach. Have you ever uh, seen, uh, had an ECV turn into a, an instantaneous birth because of a complication? C- complication, no. The only time that's ever happened was when, uh, with ECV done in, when the patient was in labor. Okay. And so then that, you get the head down and then the labor hope. continues. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Beth, you have a thought? I was just going to say, Mila was saying they'll go to the ends of the earth, and that's because they're not offered any other options. Alternative. Which so we're, we're going to get to somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. They want to have three children. They don't want to have the primary section, so they're going to try anything to do it. Yeah. If they knew that this guy over here can do a vaginal breach and this guy over here can do a vaginal breach if they knew there were options if they are good candidates if she wasn't in california right see so that's a you know kind of an ethical dilemma for me Mm -hmm. right actually because i know more than a lot of the doctors i've seen it i've done it Mm -hmm. i have my hand my hands on it so what do you do be like oh i don't really know what to do what do you do you have to move right did we answer the question that you had? Yeah, and I just wanted to know, so basically the fear that everyone, all the people outside try to put into a mom who has a breech baby doing a at-home birth is dependent birth? upon the yeah, at-home birth with a breech baby would be yeah. more towards, or the version at home, is about the skill level of the doctor and it's not potentially going to cause well, no, problems. I think they're very different, the version and the birth at home. Um, and and it's not to say that they don't have potential complications. The question is, what are the complications and what are the rates? Uh, the complications, I think, from an external version that we worry about, uh, the amniotic fluid sac can, can break, which would turn into a, a quick birth. Um, if you're still breech and with a provider who doesn't do breech delivery, then it's a quick cesarean. Uh, if you're with a provider who does breech delivery and you're in a good uh, position and things are progressing smoothly, then you have another option. Uh, placenta? Are we worried about the placenta? Uh, well, it's it's, the concern is you don't want to go ahead and start pushing and all of a sudden tear the placenta a little bit. I never had it happen, but I use pain as a criteria when I do the version, so mm-hmm. if I stop pushing, it's going to hurt. Um, but, um, I mean, like I said, the reason... Theoretically, it's set up to use this in the hospital and concurring death to a same section. But like I said, I've never seen never that. Happened. Now, so I've had cases where while I'm doing it, the heart rate went down, I turn the baby back. Heart rate normalizes for you. We, well, after I turn the baby back. Yes. Yeah, stay so down until I push the baby. I started the baby didn't baby like it. it wasn't the baby wasn't it. tolerating But that's another it. concern. No. If the heart rate goes well, down, that, it yeah. doesn't recover. That's what, that's what I'm saying. You have to monitor it. That's right. Yeah, you have to monitor, monitor while you're doing it. But there is... 
that you that there's ultrasound coming with you yeah. to that. So yeah. I, you know, that that I know. Yeah. Um, I have seen it at home. I have seen it work at home, and I've seen it not work at home. Just like yeah, just in like the hospital, the hospital. I mean, you know. Yeah. Doing this at at home or in the hospital the version. I mean, the test rates should be basically the same. Okay. You're That's not going to do the epidural. Um, I don't do the epidural anyways. The only thing is that theoretical risk if something happens. Like I said, I've never had it happen to me. As long as someone's monitoring, I think it's fine. In terms of the external version, just to finish up that topic, what are some of the factors that make it more or less likely to succeed? What we discussed. We, we said a little bit. Big the baby. position itself. Decreased well, the size fluid. of the baby. If it's Decreased first fluid. Mother, fluid second levels. Mother. Yeah. If the placenta position, the placenta, less of the anterior. Um, lacks the strength of the abdominal mm-hmm. muscles. Not as much the pelvic. I think the abdominal muscles of the mother. I have to be able to push on the uterus. If, if the mother's fortunately in great shape, <laughs> and I try to go ahead and turn her muscles contract involuntarily, I can't push on the uterus. I think if Beth had a breech baby, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> I'd push that baby out. I, I know you'd push it out. I'm saying we'd be in trouble for aversion. There's oh, yeah. No way. I don't Whoever think, tried you, it would I don't think it would work out. on me. You have no control over your involuntary yeah. contraction of your abdominal muscles, and you have to have it relaxed to push on the baby. If I try to push on it, your muscles involuntarily contract, I can't put any effort against the uterus so to turn the baby. Wouldn't so. you just say to make your job easier at 32 weeks, all your breech babies should come see me? And me. Listen up those muscles. And Susan, tag team, high five. Yes, that's right. We are going to take a quick commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. (laughs) All right. um, The fluid is just the one thing I want to talk about because uh, I always ask patients when they come in, I always say, you know, how how much fluid do you have? Right. And the answer I most commonly get is, oh, my fluid is good. But uh, medically good and good for breach, I think, are two different things. Uh, having an amniotic fluid index of between what what and what would you say is normal, f- healthy-wise. Forget about breach for a second. You want to see it above? Above nine. And below? Below, below 25. Okay, so so <laughs> let's say nine to 25. In ter- we're not, we don't care. We're not worried about the health of the mother or the baby. But I think that in terms of breach, um, having more than... 10, 11 is more helpful. I think babies uh, eight, eight or nine, much harder to turn. And then uh, when you get up to, you know, more than 16 or 17, you start to have these babies that just don't really appear to be stuck. They just have all this fluid in the swimming pool and those babies switch back and forth. So those problem, I think you have more of an issue of a much greater degree of success, but then those babies are more likely to flip back after the turn. So uh, I always tell moms, and if you're listening in your breach, ask your provider how much amniotic fluid you have. These things make a big difference. Uh, the more fluid you have or the less fluid you have can increase or de- decrease your odds of success. Or maybe you don't even really have a problem. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I get tagged on Facebook all the time when somebody says, hey, i got a breech baby, panic, panic, what do I do? And, and they're like, uh, you know, LA should Berlin. I do the external? I get tagged <laughs> as LA Berlin, goes to LA Berlin, the breech guru. I've been called that. But really, it's like, should I do the external version? And you get these answers like, no, don't do it. I tried it. It, it doesn't work. Well, it didn't work for you. Um, or it's super painful or, you know, the, you know, you you're, could go into labor, your placenta can come off without really putting it into specific context for that individual person. The data does person. not obviously back those statements up. No. That's why the college 
OBGYN college says you can try external pedal aversion because you don't have the instance of all these ruptures and all these terrible things happen. The weirdest thing I was ever tagged on is uh, advice from a woman who says lay on an incline, positional, right? And around the belly button, you're supposed to spread orange marmalade in a counterclockwise oh, wow. position. Mm, that's a good one. And then I, immediately I was like, yeah, strawberry in a clockwise position would never work. <laughs> Never. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, Danielle, you came with a breech baby and you left with a not breech baby. Yes. But we I'm didn't very force grateful, your baby into any kind of position. It just kind of flipped <laughs> over in there. Right. So How much fluid do you have? I now have 19. I had 21 last week. And yeah. Blackjack. about five minutes after I left his office, I could feel a lot of movement. And throughout, and every single night around four in the morning, my, I'm woken up by my baby and it feels like it's just flipping around and it's too it's easy. your first baby? First baby. And so the baby now, what, what position is the baby now? Well, I, I had an ultrasound this afternoon. It was head down. It was head to the side, and she just sort of tapped it, and it was head down in the center. And I immediately put these tight bands yes. on, okay. which cool. is what I have now. You're good. Well, keep your fingers crossed. But When's your baby due? My, my baby's due 36 weeks almost. Okay. But my question for you guys is, I was surprised to hear earlier on, um, I can't remember who said it, something about if there is too much fluid to do the version later on and then immediately induce it. Well, Because induction is something that I hadn't we, even thought of. We're talking of. about that in an unstable lie. In other words, the baby's always flipping. So we run the problem, trying to flip the baby, but once you get to... Remember, most of the time, as the time progresses, the fluid gets less and less. So this baby, hopefully, as the fluid gets less and less, gets and gets baby grows and gets bigger, bigger, and bigger. it'll stay in there. So And the binder hopefully stays that. So every day, every day that the baby stays in the vertex position, it's more likely to stay in the vertex position. So you have good odds going forward. At 20 weeks, your baby has a lot of room to move around because they're not that big, right? And there's a lot of space. And, and you got a roomy-woomy there at 28 weeks. So, so babies have- can move around a lot at 28, and that's why the so, so many of them are breached and we don't care. But somewhere after 32, between 32 and 35, they should start to run out of space in there, and they're not as free to move about the cabin. They have to pick a position, head up or head down. And uh, most commonly, they pick head down. And that's great because it's the easiest way to get them out. But when you still have 21 cubic centimeters of fluid at 35 weeks, you're back to kind of like that 28-week scenario where they can move head up, head down freely, and they will. And so just because your baby, we can get the baby head down, what you've done is you put on these binders above the baby to artificially decrease the amount of space and, you know, not, not really let the baby keep moving, sloshing around like that in there. And the more you have the baby head down and like Beth suggested, maybe doing squats to help open up the pelvis and bring the baby down, head down, more engaged. I have good vibes for you. I think. (laughs) Well, I still feel, I I have two, two belts on right now. Yes. But if the. Sometimes I have two belts on. (laughs) As time progresses, the fluid will decrease. Um, and remarkably, you know what I mean? Um, and we have the concern, which is another scenario, when you get decreased under five centimeters, and we recommend considering delivering then, of course, we have no randomized studies to say that's correct, but we do that. <laughs> we're doing the study now. It's always back but we're doing it now. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. We're doing it backwards. We're doing the study now to say, which, which is basically the standard of care of the, inducing people when the fluid gets less than five centimeters. Now we're doing the study. Is that the right thing to do? But welcome to medicine. But So I'm not a medical doctor, but I have my hands on lots of breech babies every day, all every week. I'm totally surrounded by breech babies. And what I'm going to tell you is your situation drives you nuts because the baby can flip back and forth. 
They drive you crazy, though, 38 or 39 weeks, which is why sometimes your medical provider will say, let's get the baby head down and go. I don't know. It's not To me, it's not always a great idea, especially with your first baby, because that baby's not anywhere, the head's not near your cervix. So we're trying to force this baby through a non-ripened cervix. And well, it's, it, it's the trouble is, if you induce, I'm, I'm a big induction. fan. I don't induce first-time mothers. Now, just the opposite in second-time mothers, I offer them anything after 39, it's a social induction which means not for medical reasons, just to coordinate with other kid at home want to do because they already have a vaginal delivery. First time mothers, I, I personally wait till 42 weeks. I follow them closely, I do fluids too. and NSTs, but I wait to 42 weeks because if you try to induce someone who's not services inducible, I think just marketing increases well, their What if her cervix is five centimeters dilated? Oh, it's easy. Oh, that's a different story. But I mean, it's on average, if you take someone... Just when's the last time? How many primates you've seen are five centimeters? <laughs> handful. Not many. Sure, a handful. I've seen them, and then it's no problem. If your cervix is really dilated, it's very inducible. But if it's not, my temptation is, I like Mother Nature's to wait. Danielle, do you know about the Bishop score? Have you seen the Bishop score? It's kind of a measure of how inducible you are. It takes into account... Your cervix, is is it a facing? Is it thinning out? Is it dilating? Is it starting to open up? How low down towards the cervix is your baby? Is the baby engaged and ready to come out? Each one of these things adds to your Bishop score. And the higher your Bishop score, the more likely it is that if we induce here, you're going to have, you know, uh, an uneventful vaginal delivery. Um, the lower your Bishop score, the more likely it is we're going to try to force this baby through a brick wall and it's not going to work and you'll probably end up in a cesarean anyway. So... When you heard that, it was probably alarming to you. But I would say when you get these flip-flopping babies with high fluid, almost always at the end, they end up in the right position. If nothing else, it's because they can easily just be flipped into the right position at the last minute. So what makes a high amount of fluid alarming then? Not yours, not 19. Over 21. So my point last make, week, I was the way you make fluid doctor, is the baby pees and the baby swallows the pee. It's a vicious cycle. If there's a blockage in the swallowing part, then the fluid can markedly increase. We have certain tricks we look at to see that, and that's one of the criteria. So the major problem with increased fluid, the number one problem if that happens, you get not 25, 40, 50, 60 centimeters of fluid at 28, 29 weeks, and they go into premature labor. So that's a major problem. So that's what we call polyhydramps or too much fluid. So we use the criteria of 25. Gestational diabetics have increased, or diabetics have increased fluid sometimes. But you're looking massive. The problem with the fluid is indication of something's going on, but the major problem is delivered prematurely. So you're not, that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, and for you, it's not, at 19, it's not really a concern at all. It's yeah. normal. Yeah. No, it's, you're, it's a, normal. you're a normal level. You have above adequate fluid, but not abnormally high fluid. You've been listening to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast, Breach Babies 101, Part 2. For show notes, visit informedpregnancy.com. And as always, if you have questions, write to info at informedpregnancy.com. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. 
As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.